0: So the title of the message for this morning is The Unwilling Servant. The Unwilling Servant. Or if you like it better, "Fisher or cut bait. And I think you'll see where we're headed here in just a minute or two. We're going to jump into the book of Jonah today. Um, you will be happy to know that in my preparation for the message, I had considered reading the entire book of Jonah. It's only four chapters, but I thought better of it, and I was encouraged to think better of it by a couple of folks, um, one of them being my wife, who was very helpful, um, actually, throughout the whole week. But, so we're going to dive into the book of Jonah, and I hope and pray that God uses his word to touch us today in a new and special way. So I'm just going to take a minute to pray. So Lord, thank you for the opportunity to share your word with your people. God, I just pray that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and a heart that's soft and willing to accept what it is that you have for us here today. Lord, speak to us both as a church, God, and as to individuals, and whether we're here in person or online, I pray that your spirit would move and encourage us to move forward in the way that you see fit for us. And I give this message to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the book of Jonah. How many here are familiar with the story of Jonah? Raised hands. Very popular story. If you've been a part of kids' church at some point in your Christianity, the story of Jonah typically gets told. It's super um, interesting. You know, the Bible is just a tremendous book, if you really just step back and think about it. Put me on a desert island with one book. Just give me the Bible. That's it. One particular book or passage can be so captivating If we allow it to be. And Jonah is one of those books for me. Um, So I'm going to jump in at Jonah 1. You know, there are really no pictures of Jonah. So, you know, the artist's renderings and what have you are as good as they can be. So bear with that. But in Jonah 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh is an ancient city of Babylon. And again, this is an artist's rendering of Nineveh. Up um, oh, we have a slide change error, but hopefully that will resolve. Um, it's here. Okay, good. Great. Um, Make sure we're in sync here. Okay. And you, sorry, technology is a little flaky, so bear with me, but why should it be any different for me than it is for Pastor Steve on a Sunday? Um, Or anybody else? Um, Nineveh is an ancient city of Babylon. But when you think of the city, think of like a modern-day Los Angeles Think of a modern-day Chicago or a modern-day Boston or New York City. It was a metropolis. It was a thriving metropolis. It was the center of commerce. But it had developed a tremendous amount of idolatry and evil. And it just so happened to be an archenemy of Israel. So here it is, a thriving metropolis Here's Jonah, God's just called him to go, and it's to the ancient city of Nineveh. And if you were to look at it on a map, it would look a little bit like this. But in Jonah 1, verse 3, we read, after the call of God, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare... He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So you can see by the slide behind me that Nineveh is way up in the northeast section and Tarshish is off the screen. And so Jonah has decided, let me get as far away from where God wants me as I possibly can. And he boards a ship, and he's bound for that port. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of a prophet, when I think of a Christian, when I think of a disciple, I have a little different image in my mind of the reaction to the call of God to go. Am I right? Is this unusual? This seems unusual? I'm going to put up this image of the picture in my mind. So like, I have this pick packed and ready. But in this particular case, Jonah's packed and ready. But he's not going where God sent him to. He's going in the opposite direction. But he is ready to go. And it's curious. It's curious. So you know the story of Jonah from here. But if not, let me recap it for you. So Jonah is running from God. He boards this ship. And God says, okay, I'm going to send a raging storm to that ship first and foremost. And so the storm is raging and affecting the ship and tossing the sailors around. And the sailors themselves get very afraid, really afraid. And where's Jonah? He's asleep in the bottom of the boat, knocked out cold. Oblivious. Strange. But they find him there and they figure out because basically Jonah tells him, Hey, I'm the cause of what's happening to you folks. Uh, it's me. I'm the reason. And he had already told them he was running from God. You can read that in the scripture. So basically, he's, they say, Well, what do we do? And he says, Throw me overboard. Well, they're sort of frightened. But they go ahead and do that. They pray first to God. Forgive us for doing this to this innocent man. But here you go boom! Over the boat and into the water. And as you know, there's a fish waiting for Jonah, a rather large fish. The Bible calls it a great fish. Some people call it a whale. It doesn't really matter. But Jonah is in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. Now, I just want to pause and go on an exit ramp for a second about the fish. I did a little research about the biggest fish that we've ever sort of encountered. Do you know that there's a blue whale that they have captured and recorded being 85 feet long? 85 feet. Now, that's eight and a half stories just to put some you know, relevance, it's huge. But I've encountered, and perhaps you have, the length, of the, the length of the sanctuary. So envision that. That is an unbelievable size. Thank you, Pastor Steve. So, but I have encountered, and maybe you have, people in life who sort of want to dismiss Jonah because of this part of the story. The fact that a fish couldn't be big enough to... Hold a person for three days. And so, as a believer, my question is always, or my response is this. How big is your God? How big is your God? Didn't the God that we serve create the universe? Create everything in it? The stars, the mountains, the seas himself. He could certainly provide a fish for Jonah. So I just go on that exit ramp and come back because there may be some... Either here or online, that have trouble with this one. But God is able. God is able. So he cast Jonah into the fish, and Jonah's there for three days. Now Jonah's attention has been gotten, and he prays, part of which is as follows. And I want you to listen to these words because as I read it a couple of times, there's sincerity to the prayer. But there's a little edge to it. And I want to see if you see that here. So in verse 8 of chapter 2, Jonah prays and says to God, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. Amen. All good. But does it strike you? There's some strangeness here as well. So, for instance, who are those who cling to the worthless idols? Maybe it's Nineveh he's talking about. So they may do that, but not me. And I will shout with grateful praise and will sacrifice, but they probably won't. So just keep that in mind. But he does arrive at a place of at least admitting salvation comes from the Lord. And boom, the fish, God causes the fish to vomit him onto dry land. That alone is an experience that I can't even imagine. If he's in the belly of a fish that's 85 feet long or something like that, been there for three days, covered with seaweed, disgusting, I'm sure, and boom, the force of that ejection must have been unbelievable. And then he's on the shores of Nineveh. Now the word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So you know, God is good. He is a God of second chances. He really is. And he's giving Jonah a second chance. And how many times have we had a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance? But Jonah's got his second chance to follow the call of God and proclaim the message that God gives him. And he goes. He goes. And he obeys the command. And he now preaches The message that God gave him to the Ninevites. He preaches God's warning. And you can read it in scripture. But it's basically Ninevites. You've got 40 days. 40 days. To repent and give up your evil ways or you are gone. That's the basic message. Well, the Ninevites receive the message. Repent. Turn to God, right up to the king of Nineveh, who issues a decree to the entire nation, part of which commands everyone to give up their evil ways and their violence. And they all repent, and God spares them from destruction. Again, you probably are familiar with most of this story. Hey, happy ending. God called Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go. God encourages him more than a little to do what he said. Jonah finally wises up and goes. He preaches. The Ninevites get saved. Glory to God. We're done. But we're not quite done. So in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And God responds, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Another little exit ramp to go on for a second. Aren't you thankful in your life when you maybe have cried out to God in anger or you have been um, obstinate and you have been challenging God or whatever it is, That God's response is measured and still loving. Like God could have just struck Jonah down. Hey, I've had it with you. But he's not. He's working his own plan in Jonah's life through all of this. And he just says, do you have a right to be angry? So now Jonah, chapter 4, verse 5. What does Jonah do? He goes out and pouts. He goes out and pouts. Verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Little exit ramp. Hmm, I wonder how long this is going to last. Probably not very long. I'll just sit and wait. Verse 6, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head. To ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. It's the first time in the entire story. That Jonah is happy. About anything. And it happens to be. Because God caused a leafy plant to grow over his head. And he became comfortable. How many know that God is not very interested in our comfort. He more will comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. That's been my experience as a Christian, and I'm glad for it, ultimately. Because comfort, if you look through Scripture, tends to be paired with backsliding and with running away from God. Hmm... Here we are. So I'm going to come back. So Jonah was happy about the plant. However, the next day, verse 7, But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, verse 10, and this is an important passage. You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Hmm. So God is basically saying, You loved me when I provided the plant, which, by the way, I provided, but it was there today, gone tomorrow, Jonah. I'm God. You're not, but when I call you to people, to minister to them, and to cause them to repent and turn to me, that doesn't get you jazzed. You're not interested. You want to die. What's wrong with this picture? Okay, so I'm going to spend the rest of our time together unpacking something a little different but directly related. I want you to stay with me here. The story of Jonah ends. God saves Nineveh. What does this have to do with us today? Because that happened like a long time ago, right? And I haven't been called to Nineveh. Maybe some of you have. But so what is it that he wants to speak to our hearts today? I think, and this is where God really started to work on me. And so I want to spend a little time, first of all, looking at why didn't Jonah really want to go to Nineveh? So if we look back to chapter 4, verse 1, and just sort of reread it. But to Jonah, this seemed wrong, very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Harsh-ish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So here's the question for us, or the answer to the question first is straightforward. Nineveh was Israel's sworn enemy, and Jonah wanted them dead. That's really All that it boils down to with all the words that are on the slide. They were deserving of God's judgment. And by the way, they probably were. But weren't we? So they were deserving of God's judgment. They didn't get it. And oh, by the way, you used me to bring them to repentance and I didn't want to do it. Jonah had drawn his line in the sand basically said to God, listen, Lord, don't call me to go to Nineveh. It's this far and no more. This far and no more. So here's the question, and this is a deep question. It's a deep question to me. Where have we drawn our own spiritual line in the sand with God? Where is it that we have said to the Lord, this far, God, but no more. Not one step further. Do we possibly have our own personal Nineveh? Hmm. What could that look like? First of all, let me just tell you the possibilities are endless. They really are. But I captured a few because in my own life and in my own Christian experience I've seen some things and I'm sure you have. But perhaps one or more of these will resonate. So your own personal Nineveh, your own line in the sand, I'm not doing that, I can't do that, I won't do that for you Lord. Maybe it's an issue in your life. Maybe it's, it's a sin that you've still got there that You're just sort of given up on, you've allowed it to remain. Maybe it's a person or a people group in your life who did you wrong, and you just haven't forgiven them. Just can't, nope, can't go there. Don't ask me to go there, Lord. Maybe it's a family member or a friend who rubs you the wrong way, and you'd just rather avoid them. I know I have somebody in my life who I have trouble, in my family, I have trouble dealing with. Now, I will tell you that God is still working on me and on my heart, because when the phone rings, sometimes I don't answer. Sometimes I just ignore it. But when I do that, I always feel the check of the Lord. Like, why did you do that? There's another opportunity, did it again. You ran to Tarshish instead of pick up the phone. So God's working on me in that area, and it's not easy. But it's worth it, because this person doesn't know the Lord, doesn't know the Lord. So what are my expectations? That we're going to have this great conversation about God, and the things of God, and how He's moving in our lives? That's not what happens, right? So it's difficult. So maybe you can relate. Maybe your line in the sand is around your prayer or devotional time. Because this is difficult in the world we live in with so much to do, so many things. We're on Cape Cod. It's beautiful, sunny. The beach is there, right? Everything is at our fingertips that we want. How much time are we spending with God in prayer or in a devotional Right, you're just like Lord. I can give you this much, but not that much. Don't ask. Maybe we've just become weary and well doing. You know, I speak some of this to the elder saints um, that have been believers for a long time, that have been through the ups, down, sideways, the battles. Um, you know, maybe we've just become weary and well doing. We're like Lord, I can't do that anymore. Whatever that is. Maybe, 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 maybe. Right. I see myself in a lot of these, actually, if I'm being honest. And so what about you? Tough. Tough conversation. Difficult. But worthwhile. So when you unpack that, what's inside of our hearts that God wants to change so that we become more like Jesus, and less like Jonah. What do we do when we find ourselves confronted with our own personal Nineveh? So Pastor Steve helped me frame my thinking around this when we talked. But if you want, and if you think about it, what would Jesus do? It sounds kind of trite, but our model is Jesus Christ. Now, he has given us others like Paul, like Peter, like others in the Old Testament, like Jonah. But our model is Jesus. So when we contrast how Jonah reacted to what we see Jesus do with the call of God, we see the difference. So clearly, Jonah ran from God. We just talked about that. Jesus called to the cross to die for our sins, ran to the cross and ran to God. Jonah, we don't see Jonah praying outside of the prayer of repentance when he was in the belly of the fish. Jesus prayed all the time. And he exhorts us to pray. Jonah clearly hated his enemies in this case. I think it's pretty clear, pretty undeniable, that he wanted to see Nineveh dealt with. Jesus says, Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Do good. Jonah sought his own comfort and Jesus purchased our comfort with his very life on the cross. You seeing the contrast here, the difference? Couldn't be more stark. Jonah served bitterly and begrudgingly. I mean, he was bitter. Even after God used him, he went to pout Deep breath. Ever do a little pouting in your walk with God? God, you didn't work the way I wanted you to. God, I thought this was going to happen in my life. God, I thought you would bring healing. God, I thought, and we find ourselves pouting and getting bitter with God, like Jonah. But Jesus approached His entire life with faith and faithfully and joyfully. And lastly, Jonah wanted his will to be done. I mean, really, that's what it boils down to in terms of the story of Jonah. But Jesus always sought to have the Father's will done. It's interesting because this came up, I think, in the kids' clip this morning. In Matthew 6, chapter 9, and this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then in Matthew 26, verse 39, as he's approaching his death on the cross in the garden of Gethsemane, he's going a little farther. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. which is amazing, amazing. And he was always lovingly obedient to the Father, to the will of the Father. And in John chapter 5, King James Version, verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing, nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father, which hath sent me. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, Matthew seven twenty one. Willingness is truly a matter of our hearts and the conditions of our hearts isn't it? God wants us to love him first and to love people. That's our mandate, if you boil our mandate down, and that's what we strive to do here at Faith. Right? Love God and love people. And God ultimately is more concerned with the condition of our hearts than the works of our hands. And we see that in Jonah. Jonah accomplished what God had him do because his plans are perfect and he is sovereign but did he did Jonah allow his heart to change in the way that God wanted him to change during the process and are we allowing him to change our hearts as he works through the issues that we have in our lives whatever they are Because he is good and he is faithful. If we let him do the work and look to him. So we're just about finished. And I want to wrap us up a little bit here today. And I wrote down a couple of things because they were important that I remember. But you won't see them up on the screen. I want to take just a minute for two groups of people. There's one group... And perhaps you're here, but perhaps you're online watching, or you'll watch it another time. You've heard the voice of God, but you're running. You're running. You're like, no, I have fun to do, I have things to do, people to see, I don't have time for you, Lord. Can you hear the voice of the Lord calling you? Today is the day of salvation. Life is not always full of the kinds of second chances that Jonah got. And we read about every day people whose lives are gone in a minute, in a moment. If you're one of those people, may I urge you to consider Christ today, giving him your life. You've heard the call. You've felt it. You know it. Submit to the Lord. And the second group I want to just address, perhaps you know God, and you've been following him and serving him, but you've wandered. Would you take today to come back? Use this as a point of recalibration. God knows where you're at. He knew where Jonah was at. And he will lovingly accept you back and work with you because we truly are works in progress, all of us, and God knows what to bring, when to bring it. So I encourage you to heed the call of the Lord. So, church, as we close today, what's our reason for running from God when He calls our name? Might be different for each of us, probably is. Whatever it is, Whatever it is, can we make that commitment together to help sort that out, to seek his face, to not run? Instead of running from God, let's run to God. We just finished a great series, Psalm 91, where God promises to be the shelter for us. We come under his wings. Let's be the church that runs to God in our time of questioning and in our time of reasoning. And then secondly, because this is a significant part of the story of Jonah, who has God called you to minister to, to go to? You know, when we, we read about Jonah and we read about the call that God had, it was to go to a faraway land. But you know, you don't have to go to a faraway land to minister for God. Maybe he calls you to do that. But most of us, he's planted us somewhere with influence. He's put us in neighborhoods where people don't know God. He's put us in workplaces where people don't know God. He's put us in places of authority where we have a voice where people don't know God. Look around. Look around. You will find your place if you're sensitive to wanting to know it. God will show it to you. And maybe as a church, we take a little step back and say, all right, God, well, clearly our Nineveh of sorts is right here in Hyannis. Do you think there are a few people around us that need to hear the message of the gospel, the grace of God, and the love of God, and the plan he has for their lives? All around us, right here at Kitty College, We have exposure to families that need to know God. Right here, we're still ministering through Faith Family Kitchen where the hungry and homeless come, where there's still an opportunity to share the gospel. So let's embrace what God has given us where he's given it to us. And I I feel like what God wants us to know is he is calling us. He is calling us in these last days. Look around us. The world is a mess. The world is a mess. And it's not going to get better by itself. And we are the light of the world. And we have been here, the light of the world, since I've been part of this church. And I know Pastor Steve and Lori, and they've been here longer, and some of you as well. But we have new opportunities. The world is different. And now we can be different. And we can reach them today in the way they need to. So I'd just like to close in prayer. And I wrote this prayer down. Then I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Steve. And I want you to maybe just close your eyes. Just settle yourself. And in your heart, if this is your heart's desire, join with me in this prayer to God. So, Lord, I just pray. First of all, forgive us, God, for those times in our lives where we have been unwilling to follow you, to heed your call. Show us, God, the areas of our lives where we are not willing to follow you, our personal this far and no more. When we are confronted, Lord, by you with our own personal Nineveh, maybe it's a place you want us to go, a way you want us to serve, a personal change you want to make in our hearts. Help us, God, to seek your face, to find shelter under your wings, to press in, to run to you and not from you. Help us, Lord, not to need to be cast into the belly of a great fish in order to spiritually get our attention, wake up, and be ready to follow you. And yet, if we find ourselves there, help us, God, to seek your face, to truly repent, to turn back to you with a new willingness in our hearts to follow you and live out your mission here on earth to love God and love others in Jesus' mighty name amen amen Pastor Steve
1: thank you gene i'm uh I'm not going to add or take away or preach anything, I think Gene did a fantastic job. I just want to affirm um, that thought process. And that's what I was thinking, and you said it at the very end, was that every single one of us has an invitation from God. Uh, he's he's equipped each one of you. He's gifted us. He's given us something that he wants us to share with those around us to serve and to minister with. and um, And so there are definitely things in my life that I've looked back, and am I unwilling because it's going to make me uncomfortable or for whatever other reason. And so I just want to affirm, thank you, Gene, for a word from the Lord. And I hope that you'll leave this place and go, uh, you know, what is, is there anything that God has asked me to do that I've I've resisted God and am unwilling to do? And if you find that that answer is yes, that you would respond like Nineveh, not like Nineveh, like Jonah, before you get swallowed by a fish. You know, that, that would be a positive in your life. So um, thank you, Gene, for ministering to us today. Hey, just um, wanted to tell you we love you. You know, we pray for you. Uh, we know you've got a lot of challenges going on in life. But uh, just the encouragement that uh, God is with you. God is with you. And uh, if you need anything, just give us a shout here uh, at the church. Um, be happy to uh, happy to come alongside you in any way we can. So, uh, God bless you. Uh, have a have a great day. We love you, especially you online too.